What a joy it is to, to sing the truths about our God, that he truly is the only foundation, the only hope, and the only name worthy of praise. So thank you for joining us this morning. Feel free to take a seat. Well, last week we finished up our series called Streams, and so we'll enter into a, a new season of teaching this morning. Before we get to that, though, just a, a few announcements for you. Uh, for those of you that are either newer to the church or newer in your journey of following Jesus and, and being one with Christ, or maybe you're not even in a place where you have a relationship with Jesus yes, yet, we are starting something new. It's called Start Here, and really it's just a community. It's a group of people journeying through the broken and beautiful of life because we all experience both together as we follow Jesus. And uh, one of our elder candidates, Bill Eaton, is going to be leading this, this community, and I'm just so thankful for him. He's been an unbelievable blessing and godsend in my life and will be a blessing to you. So if you're newer and you just don't know where to, to dive in and start with your relationship with Jesus, I would love for you to, to check this out. It'll be during the second service um, on Sundays beginning October 13th and we'll go through November 10th and it'll be in what we call the studio just behind our kids area uh, where the glass garage door is over on the other side of the building. That way if you have kids we'll have a child care or our kids ministry available at that time. So if that's you, uh, we'd love for you to either send an email to info at restorationaz.org uh, just saying start here and we'll get you information or fill out a card in front of you. In addition, uh, we just this week are about to launch another community. We have eight communities launched right now. We're about to launch our ninth. We have right around 200 people in these communities. And here's what's really exciting about that. When we say, we say it every week, that the church is a people who and not a place where we mean it. And so this, again, is not church. But you are the church when you are with one another in your vocations, in your businesses, in your families, in your relationships, in the everyday stuff of life in the greater Prescott area carrying the name of Jesus to one another and to this city. And so it's so encouraging to recognize that there's over 200 of you in the midst of the everyday stuff of life doing that together. And so I make a lot of mistakes. If I have happened to have a conversation with you and I have not connected you into a community yet and you've wanted to, please let me know. I'll just own that because I mess things up all the time. Um, but we would love to, to get you connected. Let's see, what else do I have? I think that is, oh, next week. Some of you maybe, a handful of you have maybe heard of Chris Simning or maybe have heard him speak before. Chris Simning is going to be teaching next week. And if you've never heard Chris's story, it really is one that you will never forget. I can, I can promise you that. And you will leave both blessed and impacted and with a set of eyes that just give you fresh perspective on life as a whole centered on Christ. And so uh, I just wanted to let you know that next week it's going to be pretty amazing with Chris. You're not going to want to miss that. Nate will be back with us, and, and we're just excited to spend that time with you. With that said, I want to go ahead and invite Randy Murphy up. Randy has been a friend for, a family friend for, I think, about a decade now. Uh, and it's been a just a great blessing to me personally, to my family, to this church, to, to many churches in Prescott, and, and really the country as a whole, let alone different individuals and, and marriages. And before I, I turn it over to, to Randy for preaching, I uh, wanted to share briefly, we had one of these as it just so happens moments <laughs> this week, kind of yeah. out of the, the book of Ruth. That's pretty amazing when you can see these moments where God is so clearly moving. And we have the privilege to witness that and, and to be along for the ride. So the Likewise Worship Collective, which I've talked about frequently and we've been partnered with, hosted their first marriage retreat uh, this week. 
And, and as it just so happened, Randy happened to be there, and he had never met Nate. And Nate happened to be there, and they got connected uh, to share time during this marriage conference. And then they didn't even necessarily know it, but they found out that they were leading together here this weekend, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. We didn't plan that. <laughs> and so I just love what, what Justin's doing with the Likewise Worship uh, collectives doing as a whole. And so I wanted them to just share maybe one thing each that was kind of just a highlight from this, this marriage retreat. Um, to me, the, the biggest highlight was seeing young worship leaders and young worship pastors um, taking time to work on their marriage. Um, worship leaders of all of the people in churches have the biggest bullseye on their back. They're either too loud, not loud enough, you know? Not enough hymns, too many hymns. I mean, they deal with I've criticism. I've never heard any of that before, yeah. never once. <laughs> they deal with criticism like nobody else does in the church. But bigger than that, the attack they get most often is on their marriage. And so to see these young families, young marriages coming together, and then we partnered them with an older couple to mentor them during that time together and just share out of the wealth of their years of marriage, seeing those two, two groups of people come together out of a commitment to have a marriage that honors Jesus was a cool thing. And that's different than what you said last week, so that means there's multiple highlights. That's yeah. good. Or la not last right, week, right. last service. Yeah, yeah for, for my wife and I, um, some of you may have met Emily, maybe not. I'm sure you'll meet her at some point, but she, um, sometimes as a, as a married couple, you think that the, the struggles or the challenges or the battles that you face in your own marriage are unique to you and no one else is facing those things um, and then you get in a room with 30 40 50 other people and you realize that you're not alone and you're you're not really that unique and it was really special to have couples that had been married 30 40 50 plus years that were sharing their testimonies and and sharing some of the the incredible mountains that they had to climb some deep valleys that they walked through um, and giving practical tools and it was unbelievable being partnered with Randy and Janet, his, his beautiful wife is here as well. And my wife left um, just blown away um, at the impact that they had. She says that the weekend was an absolute life-changing weekend for her. And I couldn't agree more. Um, being able to practically dive through um, just life and marriage and love and relationship and understanding that as a leader in a, in a church and having the opportunity to lead worship, it all flows from, from, from what the well within. You can't give what you don't already have. And having a solid foundation in your marriage where Christ is the center, then learning how to practically love your spouse deeply and meaningfully and then be partnered together, um, it really makes all the difference. And this, this past week was absolutely incredible. So thank you to you mm. for being our mentors as well. Uh, that was awesome. That's great. Part of the reason I, I wanted to share that is to just highlight the Likewise Worship Collective once again. And the reality is, uh, for their organization, just like for us as the church, they're completely funded by individuals and churches uh, that give generously. And their impact truly is incredible. I mean, this is just one small glimpse uh, of the fact that God is so clearly working through Likewise. But all over our, our nation, there, there's worship leaders and, and marriages being poured into that then pours into churches and into communities mm -hmm. all over. And so this really is mm -hmm. something just very worthy of giving towards. I'd love for you to check out their website or their Instagram. Uh, what do you call Instagram? Like a page, a channel? What is that? I'm, I don't even Instagram. know. Instagram. Just Instagram? Uh, yeah. Come on, Counts Nate. You're a worship. Counts. You're the worship guy. You should know this stuff. I don't know this <laughs> stuff. Good luck finding me on there. Well, you should check that out. 
And on that note, another reason that I am uh, just thankful for Likewise is because Nate and I have been, we didn't plan on sharing this this week, but we're going to, spending a ton of time over the last two months back and forth to Phoenix, getting to know each other's families and just pouring in as God kind of connected us really through Justin. And so we're really excited to announce as I've gotten to know Nate and Emily and, and his heart um, that they're going to be moving up here full time and joining us. Um, yeah, full time. Yeah. So there you go. It's pretty, really amazing and overwhelming to see through different seasons and, and, and like uh, Nate said, valleys, mountains, uh, all sorts of different parts of life, the ways that God is always faithful, he's always good, and he always has a plan. And so I know that you are personally going to be blessed by Nate, as am I, in this partnership as we seek to carry the name of Jesus together as a church, not in this building, but in the everyday stuff of life. And so we're thankful to have you here. We'll let you know a little bit more about that and get to meet his family in the, the coming weeks. But pray for them through this transition, and uh, we're looking forward to how God keeps moving. Thanks. All right, Randy, take it away. Yeah, so God is doing some cool things to bring Nate and Emily here, and both Nate and Emily and as a church family. Um, there's things that you see God do that only God can do. You need to put those as markers in the ground. Uh, you know, the, the Israelites, when they crossed over into Jordan, they built these 12 big rocks as a memorial to remember what God had done. Uh, there's going to be times Nate and Joy wondered, what the heck did we do coming up here? And there's going to be times you're going to wonder, what was God doing bringing Nate and Joy here? Okay? When all those kinds of questions hit you, you've got to look back and look at those markers and those things that God did that only God could do that showed he was working in this and bringing all this together. And hang on to the fact that God, this is God's deal. And remember what he does to make all these kinds of things happen. Well, we, um, we talk a lot here at, at Restoration, about being human. You know, human is that description of, of what separates us from other living creatures. It's about um, living every day, every minute, fulfilling our purpose for being here. Being an image bearer of Christ and putting Him on display in all we do. It's being active participants with God in bringing beauty and order out of disaster and chaos. When you live as God designed you to do, that's part of what you're doing. You're participating with God, bringing beauty and order out of what the fall has messed up and all the chaos. It started in the beginning. In Genesis 1, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. We could talk a lot about just what does it mean to be created in the image of God, but let me just synthesize that down to give us a foundation this morning. First of all, part of being created in the image of God is that I'm a rational being. That means I have the ability to think and to reason. God is a thinker. And part of the image of God in us, in man, is that we have the ability to to think. We also are a volitional being. That means we have the ability to make choices. That's what keeps us from just being a robot. God made us with the ability to make choices, and part of that is his image in us, and it reveals something about God. He also made us to be emotional beings. 
That means we can feel things, and, and often we can feel things deeply. That's part of God in us. But my dog thinks. My dog makes choices. My dog even has feelings. What makes me different as a human? What is this humanness that separates us and sets us apart from all the rest of the creation? I think the foundation of all is that we are personal beings. We are human beings. It's, it's what sets us apart. We are created in our humanness as a person with this ability and capacity to be in relationship but it goes beyond just relationship. We are a spiritual being as a person that has the ability and capacity to worship. We can set our heart and affections on things and worship. We were created to worship. We were created to worship God. But the fall messed all that up. You know, I don't think a squirrel sits out in your front yard in the morning and goes, gee, I'm really bored of being a squirrel today. You know, gathering all these nuts for the winter, that's just not very fulfilling. I'd, I think I'd really like to be something other than a squirrel. They don't think that. At least the squirrels I've talked to haven't said that. See, we have this unique ability of being created in the image of God as a personal being that's human, but we have this capacity to worship. We were created to worship God. That's why he made us. He's on a mission to reveal himself in his glory, and he does that through us, and we're here to worship him. We are made for him. He is not made for us. We're spiritual. Listen, listen to what Isaiah 43, 21 says. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. See, there it is. God formed us to be worshipers in his image so that we could declare his praise. First uh, Chronicles 16, 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And David says it like this, and we sung about this earlier. There is none like you among the gods. Oh, Lord, now there are, are any works that are not are like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. We're made to worship. You see, what we're going to see today is what the fall has produced is we are designed to worship. We were created to worship God, but we have set our affections on things other than God, and we worship something other than God. And whatever it is that we worship other than God, the Bible calls an idol. And idolatry at its core is really a worship disorder. Okay? So let's unpack that. Think, okay... It's a worship disorder. We're designed to worship God. Why would we worship anything and anyone other than God? Okay, think about the children of Israel. They're in Egypt now in slavery, right? And in the process of God freeing them, he brings all of these incredible disasters upon the nation in order to get 
to Pharaoh to finally, and the king to finally say, let, I'm going to let you go. And they watch God do all these miraculous things. Then he frees them. And as they go, they hit the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea for them. They walk across on dry ground. The sea collapses and destroys all of their enemies, all the Egyptians. And now they're on this journey toward the promised land. God has done all these incredible things. Why would you want any other God than that God? It's interesting. The first command that he gives them is that you shall have no other gods before you. Doesn't that seem like a no-brainer? Well, of course you shouldn't have any other God. Look at what he just did. Why would you want any other God? Well, what happened with the people? What did they quickly do? They forgot about what God just did. And so they put together all their gold and they melt it down and they build this gold calf and they begin worshiping this man-made gold calf and dancing around it as if somehow this lifeless thing is going to bring them life. So God gives them the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. There's this graven image now that they have made, and they're worshiping it. Okay, it's, it's an idol. When you hear the word idol, what comes into your mind? Maybe something like this. Yeah, I'd call those idols, right? Maybe this comes into your mind. Or in the Israelites' case, this is what they worshipped as an idol. When I think of the word idol, this is what comes into my mind. Yeah, that's me. That's my 69 Z28 Camaro. My first car. 302, headers, everything, right? Some of you guys are shaking your head. You get it, yeah? Um, when I bought the car, I brought it home. And uh, before I went to bed, I go out and I'm sitting in the car, just admiring it. I slept that night in the car. It got washed every other day, waxed once a week, including the air cleaner, so when I'd lift the hood to show somebody the engine, it just would shine. Where I worked, I would park the car out in a place where I had a visual of it at least 90% of the time. An idol? What do you think? Yeah, maybe. I didn't need a girlfriend. I had a car. Today I want to unpack what idols can look like in our lives today. Because I sometimes think we can just say it's a golden cow that related to the Israelites back in the era, but it has no, no relationship to me in my life today. I want to change that thinking in you today, okay? We're going to discover that idols rule our lives. Behind every sin and every struggle is an idol of some kind. So we're going to see why this is such a big deal to God. 
It's a primary issue in the Bible. More than 50 of the laws in the first five books of the Bible are aimed at idolatry. In all of Judaism, idolatry was one of four sins which required the death penalty. Pretty serious deal. You see, there's this war raging inside of us. And it's a war of who or what is going to rule our hearts. Kyle Eidelman in his book, Gods at War, states this. These gods clash for the throne of your heart and much is at stake. Everything about me, everything I do, every relationship I have, everything I hope or dream or wish to become depends on what god wins that war. He goes on to say this. What if it's not about statutes? What if the gods of here and now are not cosmic deities with strange names? What if they take identities that are so ordinary that we don't recognize them as gods at all? What if we do our kneeling and our bowing with our imaginations, our checkbooks, our search engines, our calendars? What if I told you that every sin you're struggling with, every discouragement you're dealing with, even the lack of purpose you're living with is because of idolatry? So, so see, whether you're struggling with being a workaholic, whether you struggle with anger, whether you struggle with anxiety, maybe you struggle with being a people pleaser, maybe your struggle is with food, maybe you're enslaved to pornography, or maybe it's just simple, like you're not loving your spouse like God would call you to. Behind every one of those, there's something that has grabbed your heart. Okay? That something is an idol. If you want to see lasting change in your life, if you want to experience God the way that He designed and desires for you, if you truly want to be human as God created you to be in His image, you have to deal with these idols of your heart. Okay, so let me give you a simple definition. Here's, here's what an idol is. An idol is replacing Christ with something or someone else. Anything that I turn to that gives me life Anything that I think is going to make me feel more human other than the one true God quickly becomes an idol. Whatever brings me a sense of security, of success, of control, of comfort, of even satisfaction can become an idol. You see, it's whatever consumes my thoughts, my emotions, my attention, my affections. Okay, let me show you how idols work. Satan uses idols really, really well, okay? And he's got a very simple plan. His strategy is simple. There's just two things Satan wants you to do. That's it, two things. Number one, doubt God. <clears throat> what did the serpent say to Eve in the garden right out of the gate? Remember the first thing she said to, to, or he said to her? Did God really say you're going to die? Oh, come on. Right? See, doubt God. Doubt God. See, God just knew that if you eat of this tree, you'll have all knowledge. And if you have all knowledge, now you won't need God anymore. You can be independent of God. Matter of fact, you can become God. Doubt God, depend on yourself. Doubting God, that's unbelief. Depending on yourself, that's pride. Unbelief and pride are at the core of all of our problems and struggles. 
And the lie behind those is this, that you deserve to have life on your terms with your own resources, that God doesn't know what he's doing or he's not coming through for you. You, you need to take things into your own hands and do it your own way. You do not need God. You can be your own God. See, we don't intentionally reject God. We just kind of forget about him. And in those moments that we forget about God, what Satan does is he provides a substitute for God that is alluring. Uh, Keller calls these substitutes for God, these, these things that promise to give us what we think we need, as counterfeit gods. See, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. See, when I doubt God is enough, I'm looking for something else to satisfy me. And I want something to satisfy this longing in my heart. It could be my family. It could be my kids. It could be my career. It could be making money. It could be a romantic relationship. It could be all kinds of different things. The, the problem is, one commentator says this, we, we are all born as idol manufacturers. We create these things, then we look and we find and we search and create these things. We manufacture things that we think are somehow going to satisfy us. And take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah 2. And uh, I'm giving you some time to find it. You may have to go to the table of contents on like the second page of your Bible to find the page number where Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. It's stuck back in there. So turn there and hold your finger there. We're going to get there in just a minute. What do idols look like? To, to find out what idols in our life, we have to ask a, a, a question. And the question is the why behind the what. If this is what I'm drawn to, why? Okay? If you have a food addiction, why? If you have a hot button thing that tends to get you upset, why does that upset you? If you plan on going shopping this weekend, even though you're drowning in debt, why are you doing that? If you're spending all this time and money on your car or on redecorating your house, why? We've got to ask the why behind the what. Okay, let me give you a couple categories of idols here so we can start to see what they look like. If you take that handout that's sitting on your, uh, your seat, open it up, okay? And I've given you a couple categories of idols there to help us start understanding they're not a golden calf like that or a Buddha. The idols in our life look different than that, okay? See, now, idols come from me trying to find a substitute for God, and I look at to a counterfeit. So when I'm fearing rejection... I'm going to start looking for something that's going to provide a sense of security to me. That could be love, acceptance, could be my family, relationships, health, reputation, finances, my retirement account. What is going to bring me security? That's what I'm looking for, okay? Now, if I fear failure, I'm going to look for a whole different set of idols. These idols we'll call performance idols. What I when I don't believe that God graciously accepts me because of Christ, I'll fear failure. So then I pursue the things that make me look and feel successful. 
like success, accomplishment, affirmation, my abilities, approval, some role that I have, a title that I have, how many letters go after my name. It could be my appearance, my body, my, my body fitness, my beauty, my hobbies, my ability to do athletics, ways that I can perform to somehow cover this fear of failure. If I fear the future, then I'm going to look for idols that we'll call power idols, idols that give me a sense of having some control over the people and circumstances in my life. I might even use my logic and my, my ability to argue as a way to, to have control over things. If what I'm looking for is pleasure and, and peaceful feelings and pleasant circumstances, I might look for what we would call comfort idols. The absence of conflict, the absence of pressure. Um, everything feels good. I'm skipping down that yellow brick road of life and Oz is right around the corner. I can even have negative idols in my life. You may have um, a, a child, even an adult child, who um, has just battled and battled with enslavement to drugs. And your entire life and everything you are doing and everything you are spending your money on is trying to fix your kid. See, that's a negative idol. An idol is whatever consumes my thoughts, my emotions, my attention, and my affections other than Christ. So there can be negative idols. And I even put a list of common Christian idols in there. We spiritualize these things, okay? So what's wrong with having a few of these idols in our life? Well, see, it, it, it really becomes a matter of worship. Whatever I value... I set my affections on. Whatever I set my affections on, I believe I must have. And whatever I believe I must have, I will worship. Keller says it this way. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I will feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is Worship. See, that's why you're saying idolatry is a worship disorder. Paul said in Romans 1, they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Okay, so God says this is a big deal. Okay, you got your fingers in Jeremiah 2? Let's take a look at Jeremiah 2. Let's, let's see what God's going to teach us here. Jeremiah 2, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Okay, God has taken Jeremiah. He's a prophet. And prophets are speaking on God's behalf to the people. And God says, Here's what I want you say, to say to the people, Jeremiah. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness through a land not sown. Some of your translations may say, I remember that time of betrothal. That's kind of the engagement time. Okay? I remember what that was like. Remember what that was like for you? For some of you, that's hard to remember because it was so long ago. But remember, you did things during that engagement time that you'd never done before and probably haven't done since. You'd sit out on the sidewalk on the curb till 3 o'clock in the morning 
just to be together and talk and talk and talk. You couldn't get enough of each other. See, she's saying, I remember when our, God's saying, I remember when our relationship was like that. That kind of a loving relationship. Verse 3, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of its harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them. I protected you. I took care of you. We were in this loving relationship. Verse 4, hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Some of your translations may say empty. See what he's saying? We had this wonderful, loving relationship. And I took care of you and I protected you. What did you find wrong with me that your ancestors would turn from? What did they find wrong? They would turn from me and instead they would pursue these things that were worthless and left them worthless and empty. Verse 6. They didn't ask, where's the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. See, what did I do wrong? You you didn't stop and say, what's going on here? You're left worthless and empty, and no one even stopped to say, Huh. Wait a minute. Where's God? No one asked. Verse 8. The priest didn't ask, Where's the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Nobody, including the entire leadership and the spiritual leaders, stopped a minute and said, Wait a minute. We're at this place of worthlessness and emptiness. I wonder where God went. Nobody even asked. So what does he say? I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to bring charges against you, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look. Send to Kadar and observe closely. See, has there been anything like this? (coughs) Has a nation ever changed its gods, yet they're not even gods? See, go over to these two countries, Cyprus and Kadar, that were known for their idolatrous worship. And tell me this. Have they forsaken their gods that aren't even gods at all? See, they are more committed to the false gods than you're committed to me, the true God. My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. So be appalled at this. You heavens shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can not hold water. Now this picture that Jeremiah is giving, the Lord is giving through Jeremiah to the people, was a very clear one to them. They understood what a cistern was. We don't use that word much. What they discovered they could do is they could, in their backyard, they could like dig kind of like this, this um, area in, that was dug into the ground, they could channel the rainwater into it so during the rainy time they could fill this little thing up and then later, when there wasn't as much rain, they had a little water reservoir that they could turn to and draw from. That's a cistern. 
We have a big cistern not too far from here. It's called Lake Pleasant. That's a big cistern. It's a man-made thing that's there designed to take the water that runs off clear from up in Colorado and comes down and we can hold it there so later in the year when we don't have water, I can still have green grass to mow and run my sprinklers. Okay? That's a, a big cistern. In reality, we've got a lot of little cisterns all over Phoenix known as a pool in our backyard. <clears throat> now, what happens to a pool in August in Phoenix when you don't put chemicals in it? It gets green and slimy and bugs. Okay? These little cisterns in their backyard had no chemicals in it. They would get that way, but they could still boil it and use it, right? Here's the problem. God's saying to them, you've got this cistern in your backyard that's kind of got slimy, yucky water in it, but there's another problem. It's got a crack in the bottom of it. It's leaking. It's not going to last. The water is leaking out of there. So what's he saying? My people have committed two evils. One, they have built these little cisterns. They've turned away from me and built these little cisterns. They turn from me, the source of unending, fresh spring water. They've turned away from that in order to turn to this little puddle of water in the backyard that's green and slimy that's leaking. So, wow, what a dumb choice. That's stupid. We do that every day of our lives. We turn from this unending spring water, somehow thinking this scummy green water that isn't going to last is somehow going to satisfy and fulfill me. I call it chasing after rainbows. Okay, what are you promised at the end of a rainbow? A pot of gold, right? You know what Satan does? He gives us the pot of gold. And he wraps it in these really pretty bows and really alluring things. And so you know what we do? We go over the rainbow. We get to the pot of gold. We got the pot of gold. Can you believe that? Spend, 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 spend. It's empty. Now what do I do? We don't stop and say, wait a minute. This is green, slimy water. Where's the source of unending fresh spring? Where's God? We don't even ask the question. You know what we do? Another rainbow. I chase this rainbow down, and what do I get at the end of this rainbow? A pot of gold. Spend, 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 spend. Empty. We spend our entire life racing after one rainbow after another, spending whatever we find in there, and you know what we're left Empty. Part of a midlife crisis is having gone and chased so many rainbows and assumed that this one pot of gold is going to satisfy and fulfill me, and now I'm at a place of life, and I go, and this isn't all that fulfilling. I gave my entire life to this career, and they just downsized and did away with my position. This is it. I'm as high up in the company as I'm going to get, and now they're hiring all these young guys to take our place. Midlife crisis. 
I've invested in something that when I finally realize is worthless and it's leaving me worthless, now what do I do? It's not a good trade, is it? Unending spring water for scuzzy little green slimy water? Here's a truth about idols. Idols never fail to fail. They're always going to let you down. See, God is going to contend with us. Why? Because he created us to be in a relationship with him, and I'm pursuing all these other things other than him. We were created for him. We were created to be in this relationship with him. We were created and designed to bring him glory and praise. Instead, I'm chasing all these other things. Now, here's the other interesting thing about idols. Idols don't just rob you of your intimate relationship with God, which they do. But they do more than that. They also rob you of your humanness. They promise to bring life, but instead they bring death. Let me give you an example. Pornography. Pornography promises life. It promises to make you feel alive. It promises you that this is what really being human is all about, this kind of satisfaction, gratification, and pleasure. But what does it bring? It's dehumanizing. It brings guilt, shame, and death, the opposite of life. Everything in these pots of gold only satisfy for a moment. And then they bring death. So how do I deal with these? Back page of your notes. Five things I want you to do. Okay, number one, recognize the idols in your life. Okay? I've given you a list of questions there you can ask. And here's the reason we printed this so you can take this home. And I want you to go through those questions. Just ask yourself some of those questions this afternoon. What do you think you can't live without? What brings you a sense of life? What do you turn to when you're discouraged or depressed? What do you daydream about? What do you think is going to bring security? What do you spend your money on? What do you get anxious about? It starts by being able to identify our idols and open that thing up in the middle and look at I've got two pages of lists of idols there for you. Take a highlighter and go and say, which of these do I think I could be sometimes drawn to? I'm telling you, in two pages, I'm going to hit you somewhere. Okay? It starts by recognizing. We, we start our service with a time of confession and repentance. Confession is agreeing with God. It's saying, yes, this is, what, this is what is true. I'm agreeing with God that this is an idol. So, first, you've got to recognize the idols in your life. Second, repent and run. In Ezekiel 14... This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Israel. Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your te- detestable practices. Paul said it really simply in 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Flee from idolatry. John and John says, run. Pot of gold, run. Well, well, well flee. But i got to recognize what it is first before I'm going to do that. And repentance has behind it not just turning from something, but turning to something. Repentance requires both. I have to turn from this in order to turn to this. 
And as long as my affections are set on this, this pot of gold that I think is going to provide everything I think I need, as long as my affections are there, guess where my affections aren't? They're not on God. And whatever I set my affections on, I worship. You see, idolatry is a worship disorder. So I have to, number three, now be renewing my mind and catching those thoughts. And Because our, our culture and our society is continually bombarding us every day with advertising that says, you want to be happy? Here's what you need. You want to be satisfied? Here's what you need. Use this toothpaste and you'll have five beautiful women chasing you down the beach. See, we're, we're just totally bombarded every day with lies about what is going to fulfill us and satisfy us and gratify us. Our whole capitalistic system is built on that. You need something more than you have. And about the time you get the new car, there's a new model that comes out. And you can only afford a new car every four years, so all the car manufacturers make sure that every four years they bring a new model out that now supersedes the previous one. Got to be renewing our mind because we're bombarded with this. Fourth, remember who God is. I have to remind myself of who God is because in those moments, I've forgotten who He is. He's the only real God. He created us for Him. He's the source of unending living water. The Creator God of the universe has chosen you. He loves you, and He knows your name. He is life. Acts says, in him we live and move and have our being. 1 John 5, 12 says, whoever has the Son has life. So my question is this, do you have life today? Or is your life full of broken cisterns that can hold no water? God's saying, turn from these. Turn from these idols and turn to him. And that's why the number five, I rest in his faithfulness. God will protect you from the evil one. God's doing a work in your life. He's going to provide a way of escape for you. And He's faithful even when you're not. God's love for you isn't based on how many idols you've run from. God's love for you isn't based on how many idols you've repented of. God's love for you is based on one thing, what Christ did on the cross for you. But the way to experience the fullness of life and to be human as He designed you is only going to be experienced in your life as you turn from these and turn to Him. So are you settling for something that's counterfeit? Not the real thing? God wants you to know Him, to love Him, to be in a relationship with Him. Don't settle for something that is so much less. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you that you have yanked us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your Son. God, thank you that you are life. And God, that you designed us to, to experience you as life. That you've created us in your image to be able to relate to you, to be able to experience you, and to be able to be image bearers of you to the rest of the world around us. God, forgive us for so often chasing all of the same things that the rest of the world thinks is going to provide happiness and meaning to our life when we've been given you. God, help us have a clear picture of you today, to see you for who you really are, to be reminded that there's no other gods like you. No, there's none. And God, we want to experience the fullness that comes 
in a living, active, experiential relationship with you. God, help us flee those idols. Help us to recognize them. God, give us the grace we need to turn from them and the grace to trust you today. And we pray to that end. Amen. So as we continue our worship,